Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson. Tom Fernelli will be joining us shortly, some amount of time after the conclusion of the Orange Bowl. We are coming live because the result is in hand. Uh, currently, I'm looking at Georgia 34, Michigan 11 on the scoreboard. Alabama already took care of business against Cincinnati. Unless something truly historic happens, we are going to be looking at an Alabama-Georgia rematch in the national championship game. Uh, but uh, we got a, a lot of things to get to right now. But I, I want to say, first and foremost, thank you to all of you that are ringing in the new year here at youtube.com slash cover three. You have dressed for the occasion. Uh, I have as well because we are, we are only the classiest of podcasts that want to make sure that you enter 2022 with winners and with class here with the cover three podcast. Chip, that's right, man. We we are formally ringing in the new year here, looking sharp gentlemen. We see it in the comment section of of course. And you know, two games today that that were blowouts, uh, but I still found them somewhat entertaining. Nonetheless, I, I, I wanted to see like how they got to the blowout and like there are, there are really good things that all these teams do. And the teams that won these games found ways to neutralize those things and overcome those things and, and play to their own strengths as well. And, you know, look, we, we do have a matchup or a rematch coming, uh, in my opinion, of the two most talented teams. Certainly, if you look at the recruiting rankings over the last four years uh, in the country. So, you know, I'm, I'm excited to watch it and I'm, I'm excited to break down these games, man. What do you, because Tom is writing the Georgia story. Do you want to uh, you want to wait on that? And go Cincy Bama? Where, where, no, I, where, where do you want to dive into first? The discourse. You know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, that they didn't belong? It, it just or or the discourse about like playoffs are broken. This is why we need to expand oh, yeah. it. Oh, bring back the BCS. Like the I I find myself in like, but I might need you because you are so much uh more focused uh, in, in a way that you don't get you know, lost on the edges the way that I do. I get lost by narratives. I get lost. I mean, it's it's why art against the spread records are different. You know, I, I get distracted by lots of different stuff. Maybe I'm just coin flipping too. But but I really think that I am exhausted by the idea that individual football results on New Year's Eve should be indicative of an entire sport being broken. And I, I, I want to engage with it because I understand that a lot of fans are feeling that. And our audience includes many fans that are looking at today's results, blowout wins for Alabama and Georgia, and thinking this is why we need to either reduce, bring back the BCS, or expand and bring back the college football playoff. And I just can't help but find myself but thinking that all of it is just like complaining and overreaction because every single season is different. And every single situation is different. And the fact that there are 
like two teams that are, are able to overwhelm you with talent, like that, that's kind of always been college football. I just don't see anything wrong with the playoff as it is. I don't see anything wrong with the fact that we are going to get Alabama and Georgia as a rematch. You know, Chip, if, if we never had the bowl system, I don't really think that we would be in a situation where we would be, we were complaining about the playoffs as much. I think it's a combination of the same teams win the playoff all the time, which college football is a very top heavy sport as far as the ultimate prize. And that's fine. And we've always had it be that way. There aren't that many teams that win a, a national title, especially not post World War II, especially not post, you know, desegregation. So when you look at it in that time period, very few teams actually have the ability to recruit to that level and win the whole thing. And none of that is really particularly new. What I think is new is the the sort of de-emphasis on the bowl games, which our colleague Danny Connell has you know kind of complained about and lamented he thinks there's maybe too many bowl games now. And I, I don't agree with him because I want more opportunity to bet on these things. However, uh, you know, the, 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 the game that really stood out to me of why do you think we need to kind of expand this a little bit was last night. It was, I was sitting there on my couch, Pitt, Michigan state, Pitt, Michigan state. Okay. Kenny Pickett, one of the best quarterbacks going into the NFL opted out. Kenneth Walker opted out. Pitt's second string quarterback goes down. I'm trying to jam in as many under 27 and a half Pitt live team totals as I can before they lock me out. And I got like 13 of them down and it's very low number. That's why I'm betting it 13 times before it locks. But, man, if that game was a playoff game, you and I know that Pitt and Michigan State can't win the national title. But fans don't. Look at the insane comments, and we love you guys for it. We app, look, look at the Twitter responses I get. Fans and players are always going to believe in their team to an irrational level as long as they have something to play for. And I'm not going to say we would never have an opt-out of a playoff game. I think it's certainly possible, and somebody probably will at some point. Maybe they'd fake an injury to do so. Uh, but realistically, I I don't think we will uh, have that many of them. And nice, Georgia Live Under just just hit. I know I'm not supposed to comment on the game, uh, but that, that's, that's ball game. No, no, you can comment on the game. I just didn't want to go live at like the nine-minute mark and then have you know Michigan make the ultimate, what, onside kick recovery and right. you know, late touchdown and two-point conversion, things like that. I thought that the underdogs were not even going to score a touchdown. I thought that we were really going to be looking at Alabama and Georgia came out here and did not allow you to cross into the end zone. And that is so like deeply and thematically SEC and just yeah. like very within the Alabama industrial complex of the Nick Saban, Kirby Smart. Like we are going to eliminate your will to compete uh, through and through. Then I, I kind of liked it. But I mean, I'm sitting here with a, a losing Michigan plus seven and a half lock and pick across all of our CBS sports platforms. At this point, I'm just trying to root for entertainment for me. I think that our final of 34-11 still leaves us with the same conversations about this Georgia-Michigan game. Do you want to start at Alabama-Cincinnati? Because I know that you we were texting earlier, and the there there is probably some more complexity to the result than I think a lot of fans. If you didn't get a chance to watch it all, I hope you are listening to this. I hope you are watching this with the hope to get some insight because I, I thought it was like a weirdly a pretty more interesting game than the final score would suggest, especially considering our expectations going into it. I chip, I would agree with you there. Like yardage total wise, right? Bama absolutely smoked Cincinnati. I think at the half, it was like three Oh four to 70 or something like that, which is, is a smoke shop. 
But I thought situationally Cincinnati did, did a couple things that bothered Alabama. Alabama was struggling with some injury stuff in this game that and they kind of were piling up a little bit. They're already without Josh Job, the corner. Jalen Arbor Davis goes down. One of the other corners, they're having to play Kyrie Jackson, who, granted, it's Bama, so he was the number one junior college corner right. in the country. And the other kid on the other side, Kool-Aid McKinstry, was the number one high school corner in the country uh, in last year's class. And then Emil Echior, the offensive lineman for Alabama, goes down, and they have to put in a backup. And that offensive line this year has had struggles. And they had to put in J.C. Latham, who was the – that's right, number one offensive tackle in the country. They're using him at guard right now. Uh, but I I thought I, – I, I really liked some of Bill O'Brien's game plan stuff that he did. And I've not always been the biggest fan of what O'Brien's done this year. I, I, I do think it was a downgrade from Sarkeesian. But it's also hard to parse that because last year, look at all the tools Sark had to work with with this offense. And this year's offense personnel-wise, it's just not the same thing. So in fairness to Bill O'Brien, he's not had quite the tools – to work with that he did last year. But I thought, like, let's review what we said Cincinnati was very good at, right? Creating confusion, shooting gaps. They play a, kind of a unique 3-3-5 overhang scheme. It's it's something you don't see a lot of teams run in the same way that they run it, especially not teams that have really good, like legitimate NFL corners at both spots. Right. That it, when you had that, you can be very creative with your other nine pieces on the field. And so I thought Bill O'Brien's game plan with Alabama – and. We could just call, kind of go home now and be like, all right, Bama mashed them, done. But no, I think they did more than that. Like, yes, they were physical, but they came out with tempo. And I thought one of the reasons they were doing that was because Cincinnati likes to do a lot of pre-snap stemming and shifting and whatnot. And with that tempo, I thought Cincinnati had to be a little more simplified in its calls. And Bama got more of a straight-up look for them. That, to me, was was pretty big. The goal here was to get Cincinnati out of what they like to do. And, of course, that's always going to be the game in pretty much any game. But they, they did a good job with that. They also ran – like, how many times did you see Alabama pull guards or tackles or anybody on actual run plays? To me, it was almost never. They right. did it to try to get some of the downfield play action stuff. But it was downhill. Was- if we, When we were actually giving it to Brian Robinson, like, we, we were just going to try to take advantage of the fact that – you know, when you have that, and Nick Saban mentioned it in his post-game press conference on ESPN or the post-game, you know, interview where he said, you, to your point, he said, when we knew that they were going to run that 3-3 stack, we knew that we were going to have some opportunities to run the ball. And if we were able to go out there and execute it, it was going to be something that was going to be good for us. And from the very first drive, run, 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 like, yeah. It was the idea that we believe that we can run downhill at you. And, you know, for, for Brian Robinson, he answered the call and had a career day. So I don't think that this is overly representative of what Alabama, like, it, it's not a new wrinkle. It was a specific matchup advantage, which, it, shocker, the greatest coach of the, in the history, like the goat of the sport came out and found something that was going to be able to work for him and his team. I, I think Alabama is still Alabama. I think this was just a very poor schematic matchup once they established it, especially early. I, I agree with you on that. I, I also like the specific way they ran it because normally like they're, they're his own team, but they, they'll also run some power and some stuff and they'll run duo and whatnot. But they just ran basically straight inside zone with a little bit of split, I guess, at, at times. But um, Chip, I thought the goal there, and they basically wanted to limit penetration as much as possible. 
it seemed to me like Bama was okay getting two or three or four as long as they were not getting any kind of negatives. Now, granted, they got a lot more than that because they got really good push off the ball with specifically with, with Evan Neal against the defensive end he was lined up against. Uh, and I thought they found some weaknesses there in Cincinnati's defense at the linebacker and safety level uh, specifically. Obviously, they almost never challenged Cincinnati's corners in this game. They said, hey, we're going to go some tempo, so you guys have to simplify. We're going to go foot-to-foot inside zone and just kind of like mm, movie as a wall type thing. No no penetration, no no funny business. We're not having guys shooting gaps and, and you know, kind of going where, where the puller vacated. And and that's, that's a strategy you can use against a team like Cincinnati if that's what you want to go with. And then I also thought they did a really good job, not so much in the throw game, but formationally in the screen game and in the run game, they played a whole lot of bunch and stack stuff, which Cincinnati is a very good man coverage team. We talked about this in the preview. Will Cincinnati play Alabama like Auburn, like LSU, like right. to some extent Arkansas? Arkansas is a little different, but you know, like LSU and Auburn tried to do and like Georgia did not do. And again, Bama, even without John Mechie, I guess we can get to that in a minute. I thought Bama did a really good job of using those sort of you know stack concepts to where Cincinnati has to play, play some zone. A couple times they went like, like a little trip stack to the boundary, and it definitely messed up Cincinnati's run fit. You could tell. Like both guys took Bryce Young on the keep, and you got Bama, you know, wall down, wall down, double, climb to the backer on the play side. The other backer and the DN are still taking the quarterback. And so Brian Robinson's like, well, I'm healthy now and I'm a physical guy. I want to hit somebody, but I'm going to run 30 yards before I hit anybody on this play. Like there was a couple plays where they blew holes open because they were superior physically, but they also did so because they set up good angles for their guys and some defensive confusion via formation, via tempo, and via the concepts they were running. I, I, I was pretty impressed because Cincinnati's a very good defense. Like Their offense, I have never bought into it, but that's a really good D. And I, I thought they did a nice job there. So I... I say this, of course, with an eye on the national championship game and thinking about the SEC championship game the last time we saw Alabama play. I I think that Alabama was reckless take. Reckless New Year's Eve take here. You Can ready? I guess where you're going with this? That's Alabama. Okay. They, they were more afraid of Cincinnati's secondary than they were of Georgia's? Yeah, I would agree. I think so. That's what I saw. I just... Or, or not that they were more afraid, or just the, the thought that they could win without having to do that. Something that I totally understand, especially when you look at the performance and the caliber that we're talking about of the Georgia front seven against the Cincinnati front seven, right? Because you were talking about being able to like blow holes open. They were better physically. And ladies and gentlemen, Tom Fernelli, join in. Oh, Tom's got yes, the jacket on too. Yes, everybody stunting here. What's up, Tom? What are we talking about? We were talking about whether Alabama was scared to throw against Cincinnati more so than they were against Georgia and whether we should take anything away from that. No. Okay. They thought that they could just run the ball and win, so why even try to throw against the All-American cornerbacks? I think a lot of it was Alabama's Alabama, so they run a lot of RPOs, and I think Cincinnati was taking the pass option away and saying, we're going to make them run the ball because if they pass, we're probably not going to stop them. And if they run, maybe we can stop them. And I think that's what they tried. 
it's now it proved to be very effective. And I think that's really more than anything what it was. I, I think that's fair. I I do think that that Bama, we just got done praising, you know, Tom, we were talking like, hey, they, they use tempo to keep Cincinnati simplified. They use a lot of those bunch sets, especially to the boundary to kind of make Cincinnati play zone and screw with their run fits. And you know, a couple of those times, it's like, well, Cincinnati ends up with both the DN and the backer taking the keep and nobody's taking the give to Robinson. And the fact that they ran one concept, like they just ran inside zone because I feel like Cincinnati shoots gaps so hard that they didn't want to allow any kind of penetration and said, just screw it. We're not going to, we're not going to risk it. But they, once Emil Ekior went down, I think Chip does have a point here. They did not pass protect well. They they, they hit the one kind of wheel on, on, on the uh, on the switch concept to Ja'Cory Brooks. Shout out to Corey. Been watching that kid since he was in eighth grade, so kind of cool there. Happy for him. Um, but I thought their blitz pickup in the second half was not that great. I thought they had some confusion issues going on. I also think that they did miss John Mechie. Like how many times did Bryce Young drop back on a non-RPO situation on a passing down and complete a ball to somebody who wasn't Jamison Williams? I think he had the touchdown. Maybe was that a third down to uh, to Slade Bolden? Yes. But Cincinnati, like Cincinnati's a very good secondary and a very good defense, and definitely not a team that you want to get into passing downs against. But they were not particularly competent in those situations, in my opinion. I mean, Bryce Young was seventeen of twenty-eight. I was going to say, like, what are we talking 81. about? Like, like, below average yards per attempt, mm-hmm. 6.4, 6.5 yards per attempt. That's – for the Heisman Trophy winner, we don't want you at that what, – what do we always say, seven? Is that what y'all say? Like, about FBS average is somewhere between seven and eight? I guess it's probably going north as the game continues to evolve, but – Yeah, Joe Burrow is like nine-something, I think. Yeah, I, I would like to be above eight at least. If you were going to consider it a successful performance or consider it an elite performance. A good performance, yeah. 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 Um, What about Cincinnati? Uh, Clearly, they didn't make it to the end zone. Um, Was this a Cincinnati offensive issue or Alabama's defense showing up in a way that would give you confidence, especially moving ahead to the national championship game? They couldn't block. It's really hard to move the ball when you can't block the guys in front of you. And I think that was, to me, I I watched this entire game on the Skycam feed, which was amazing because not only do you get like the actual like video game view of it, but there's no announcers talking over the entire game. So you can kind of just watch the football. And I mean, it was, it was breathtaking how like the very first drive of the game, Cincinnati's offensive line played pretty well. They moved down the field, then they had to end up settling for that field goal. After that, it was a one-way street for the most part. Like Will Anderson was in a lot of one-on-one situations, which was not a place you wanted to have him. He was murdering the right tackle most of the day. I felt like every single time Alabama ran a stunt, Cincinnati didn't see it coming or had no idea. Who, no, like There was confusion along their front who was supposed to pick it up. There wasn't a whole lot of support from the running backs and the blitz pickup. They were just – every single time – they turned around and snapped the ball and Alabama defender was pretty much already in the backfield and it's really hard to move the ball that way. And I think that's what we saw. We saw Desmond Ritter start rolling out a lot. I think they're you know trying to move the pocket to get him out from under the pressure, but they were also just running a lot of really quick outs and there weren't enough. Like we talked about it in the chat and bud, you tweeted a screenshot of it. Like we kept waiting for them to run an out and up 
and they finally did. And wow, it was a successful play, but it was just, they didn't have time. Desmond Ritter was like his time to get rid of the ball. He was under pressure nearly immediately every single time. They couldn't really run the ball. Jerome Ford had a decent night, but it just wasn't consistent. It was just, there, there was no consistency to anything they did except for not being able to block. That was the only thing they were consistently good at. Yeah, like so with Cincinnati's offense, I, I don't want to put this all on Ritter. I, I agree. I, I think Tom nailed it there. Um, they could not just run regular drop back passing plays. They, they are a pretty RPO heavy team. Um, Bama got in man and said, beat us. Yeah. yeah. How many times did Cincinnati's guys beat Bama's man coverage? And I'll note a lot of times it was against Bama's backup corners because Job's out. And so was uh, Armor Davis. Oh, Kool Aid almost gave up a touchdown there early in the game on Alec Pierce. Alec Pierce made the inside move, and Kool Aid got beat and then couldn't deliver it on time. Exactly. Which, by the way, is my other point on this. Well, I guess I have a couple. Number one, no drop back game for Cincinnati. If you can play good man coverage, you can beat the RPO. Like, literally, that's kind of really good man coverage is a pretty good way to beat RPO stuff. Cincinnati did not really have the counters to get Alabama out of some of their, their man stuff. And, of course, Bama plays really good match zone anyway. I was pretty impressed by that with all the backups they had at one point because Battle was out, and then Armour Davis was out, and obviously Joe was out. And they were still playing their man-match stuff pretty well. So I was I was, I was like, whoa, okay. I was, I was watching the All-22. I was like, they're, they're matching these routes. Guys are not open down the field. Um, a couple times they were open. Ritter had a couple misses were uncharacteristic, but obviously I don't think he has, like, the expectation of protection there with Bama rushing him. Um the other thing I wanted to point out here is I just – I don't like Cincinnati's offense. Just, just as, as a matter of – They don't do anything creative. And the things that you do, I just I just don't like it. You know, no, it, it, you get to do all these things against American Athletic Conference opponents and it seems to work. But you know what? You get here in the college football playoff, sounds like Bud saying Cincinnati didn't deserve. You know, sounds like they didn't deserve a spot. That's what Bud. No, said. no, I, I think they deserve a spot because they were like they were very deserving. I obviously. Kid, I kid. Yeah. But I mean, they were kind of creative on their opening script of the first half and the second half. Once they got off script, their normal stuff they run. I didn't see very many wrinkles off that. Now, granted, maybe they just felt like they couldn't block it, as Tom noted, and that's mm-hmm. probably fair. Man, but I. I so they might be hiring Denbrock mm-hmm. at, LSU. at LSU. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm like, really? Yeah. Like this is okay. But you're gonna have LSU offensive linemen, not Cincinnati offensive That's linemen. That's true. That's true. That's something that should be considered. I I thought that Cincinnati looked like a they're going to the Big Twelve, but they looked like a Big Twelve team. Oh we call it football playoff. What do you think? Tremendous job of batting down passes because yes. on that on that early script, I will give Denbrock credit for this. They actually set up stuff that was going to score. Mm-hmm. Like they they Bama bats down two touchdowns. That tunnel screen is probably scoring. I think they have like four on two blocker wise. It's yeah, and there was a score. There was that slant to Alec Pierce that was a touchdown, yeah. except Ritter missed him high because in Ritter's mind it was, I got to get this throw higher. They're going to bat it down, and it was it obviously affected him on that throw, and it cost them a score. So even the passes they did it bat down, they they caused to be incomplete. Overall thoughts uh, before we hit the break and move to Georgia, Michigan. You know the the Alabama performance. I don't want you to grade it. 
but I want to at least get your sense of what you saw from a team, you know, its best performance of the season was go- it was in the SEC championship game. Most impressive mm-hmm. performance of the season, the the one that was going to make you totally rethink what this Alabama team could accomplish. We've got another data point following that. Where are we at with the Crimson Tide? Well, I, I do want to say, I, I don't know if we talked about it before I got here, but I, I was kind of, I've been critical of Evan Neal all season long. I just, he hadn't been impressing me very much. Like he was playing fine, but there was nothing he was doing to me that like seemed incredibly special. The last two games against Georgia and then tonight against Cincinnati, he was dominant. He was just erasing people from plays over and over again. So I was really impressed with that. And I also feel like while it was somewhat of a lackluster overall performance from Alabama, I really do think, and again, maybe you guys touched on this before I got here, I do think they figured out pretty early they were going to win this game. Yeah. And they kind of just said, all right, uh, we're going to head off to Brian Robinson 26 times, and we're just going to be very vanilla. We're going to move on, and we're not going to show Georgia anything. We're just going to try to get out here as healthy as possible. And even that didn't work because they did suffer a couple injuries there that I don't know that could be uh, kind of concerning going forward. So the other lingering Bama concern I have here is some of these injuries, right? So we don't know if Ekior can play. Saban was asked about it in the post game. He said it's a shoulder. Said he may have a shot to play in the title game. I mean, that, that is significant, right? I, yeah. I'm very impressed with J.C. Latham as a recruit. He was a stud. I mean, he was, he was a D-end up there. I think in Minnesota or Chicago, I forgot. He transferred down by Mead IMG, and he was like, hey, I'm going to be 6'6", 305 in a year. I'm not a D-end anymore. And he like embraced playing offensive line, whereas a lot of these guys don't. But the other thing, if you, if you watch the end of this game, Chris Owens, their right tackle, the guy that they put in to replace Damian George, who was not getting the job done, he went down. And Saban didn't give an update on him at all. I've got a little tweet deck column going now for the name Chris Owens to see if an update. Because like, if they have to play Latham and Damian George against against Georgia, that should be north for a field goal, right? I'd love, the line's two and a half right now. But like at a certain point, even if they're five stars, you're dipping in your reserves. Uh, that's tough. Coming up on the other side, we turn our attention to Georgia-Michigan and our early thoughts and previews. But just teased it right there. We're looking at two, two and a half, somewhere around there. Uh, Our literal, just off-the-cuff, college football playoff semifinal night picks for the national championship game between Alabama and Georgia. All that coming up next. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount+. Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and $15,000 a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. So, Tom, you were... Um, you were live blogging Georgia, Michigan dialed in thrill ride. It was just everything that you hoped to get out of the game that we thought could give us absolutely anything and gave us the, 
when we said anything could happen, we said it could be Georgia big, Georgia small, Michigan small, Michigan big. It was the Georgia big in the most boring way possible, which is like the most beautiful Georgia thing ever, right? Yeah, I mean, I I think that game was one play away from being a completely different game. Like Georgia, what was the one play? Georgia, obviously, its very first possession marches down the field to 80 yards, gets the touchdown, goes up seven to nothing, and... You know, there are some vibes there. It's like, oh, oh, that looked really easy. But then Michigan gets the ball, and Michigan was moving the ball pretty well, too. Like, the offensive line was winning a lot of battles against that Georgia front on their first possession. Is they, they were able to run the ball. They cross midfield. They get into that fourth and four situation. Cade McNamara misses Eric All off his fingertips, turnover on downs. Five plays later, Kenny McIntosh is throwing the 16-yard touchdown to Adonai Mitchell. And I think that fourth down, if Michigan converts it, I think it's a very different game. Mm. I, I'm not sure I agree it's very different, but I, I, I think it's worth exploring, you know, if if they do tie that up there, because they had guys open against Georgia early mm-hmm. and either missed them or dropped them, like you said. So how does Georgia react to its defense giving up points again? Now, the remaining 55 minutes, obviously, they're playing with the lead. They're very comfortable playing with the lead. We've seen this a lot this year. Uh, they they were able to kind of play downhill and dominate. I'm also really not sure that, like, Michigan's guys oftentimes were not beating, you know, Georgia's DBs throughout the rest of the game. But early on, you're right. They did get guys open. I, I want to go to something here. We talked about this in the preview. These are not good third-down offenses. Nope. They're they're just not. So the team was going to win this game was going to be the team that could find a way to do what? Hit explosive plays on first down. If this is a TV show, I would have told him pull the tape. I'm going to read to you Stetson Bennett's first half passes real quick. This is great podcasting here. First and nine, <laughs> touchdown. Uh, first and 10, nine yards. First and 10, seven yards. Uh, first and 10, incomplete. First and 10, uh, one yard. So that was great. First and 10, six yards. First and 10, 12 yards. First and 10, 57 yards, touchdown. First and 10, 13. First and 10, 18. Uh, or excuse me, uh, no, that was third and 15. Anyway, a lot of like really nice staying ahead of the chains passes there and a couple explosives for Georgia. That was like, they hit some really nice stuff off play action early and put Michigan in a bind. It was big. The other thing I thought they did was Let's go back to the preseason. We talked about this a little bit, and it really hasn't shown up for me at all, except for maybe the Michigan State game. Remember when Jay Toya went back to UCLA? Defensive lineman. The D-tackle. Yeah, because yeah. he was at USC, and he was mm-hmm. under the mistaken impression that he couldn't transfer to UCLA. So he transferred to Michigan for a minute, and then they're like, Michigan was honest with him and said, oh, hey, actually, that's not a rule. You can go to UCLA. And so he's like, I want to go back to the West Coast. I talked to Michigan people that said, like, I'm, we're worried, and this is the preseason, we're worried about our run defense up the middle, right? And in this game, Georgia was like, guess what? Hutchinson's not beating us. We will solo him some, but we'll also chip him quite a bit. We'll also hold him a little bit. I'll, I'll give him that. Uh, Michigan fans <laughs> yeah. are going, you know, they're going Zapruder film out there. But they said, we, we think our interior guys, and producer Jordan, who also produces the, you know, the Dogs 24-7 podcast, will tell you guys this. They've had they've had struggles on the inside this year at times at Georgia. Georgia won. They trusted its guys in the middle of their offensive line to handle the Michigan defensive tackles one on one, 
because it knew it had to give extra help to Hutchinson. And those guys won those battles and got movement on the line of scrimmage consistently. Like sometimes those Michigan D tackles were being blocked into the Michigan linebackers. Like that was a real key, and it keyed the play action game later on. I will say, Michigan fans, if you're going to Pruder film for the holdings on Hutchinson, you will find some, but please go through the film of your offensive line too because that was a crew that was letting a lot of stuff go, and I was fine with it. I, I don't mind that at all. So, um, I'm speaking to an audience that shares much of the same conversations here, but I, I love the pride of Charlotte, North Carolina, Jordan Davis, but I felt like today in this Michigan game, was so much more of a, a focus and a spotlight on the leaner, tweener, more athletic. Like it was, it was your Nicobe Dean. It was your Nolan Smith. It was the, it was Jalen Carter. It was Quay Walker. Like it, it was all of these other defensive front players that weren't the massive mountain nose tackle type player. It wasn't Devontae Wyatt. It wasn't Jordan Davis. The thing that I kept seeing time and time again was just the fact that. That was where the the trouble was because we're talking about an offensive line that was won the Joe Moore Award, best mm-hmm. offensive line in the entire country. So it wasn't even like their ability to mash at the point of the of attack. It was just that they could didn't have that the the speed or the athleticism or the versatility, the things that Georgia is bringing at some of those edge positions, at some of those tweener positions within the defensive front is just so different than anything that anyone else can match up against. And I felt like that was an incredible answer from that group uh, to be able to say, like, I, I, I don't know, we're, we're going to be able to beat this group with our versatility. We're going to confuse them. We're going to send that extra linebacker. We're going to be able to have a free rusher uh, just based on scheme, based on, based on play call and just a phenomenal performance from, you know, uh, from from 88, from two, you know, from from 17, like those. It was those players. Uh, not again. Much love to Jordan Davis, but not the mascot that got a bunch of Heisman Trophy votes from Heisman Trophy voters who wanted a defensive player. Did you see Nicobe Dean call out the order? Yes, take? yes. That was he's great. he's just hilarious to watch. He's so like freakishly good. Yeah. He's the he's the best player on that. Yes, team. that's that's the funny thing. Like you mentioned, the Jordan Davis, we love him. We love we love but Jordan he's, Davis. <laughs> he's not even the best player on his own defensive line, let alone the entire defense. So the people that were giving him Heisman votes really should have thought that through a little bit because Nicobe Dean is the best player on that defense. And I do think that was evident because like you said, Chip, like Michigan's offensive line did not play poorly tonight. It played just about as well as anybody can expect you to against that Georgia front. And it was Nicobe Dean that was blowing stuff up constantly just destroying Michigan plays before they ever really had a chance to happen. It's like, I felt like at times the Kobe Dean was getting to spots where Michigan players were supposed, were trying to get to before the Michigan player realized that's where they were trying to get. If, if you do not have the ability to play quick game via the pass against the Georgia defense, you are dead. Mm-hmm. Like period. I don't, I don't really put that on. I agree with Tom. Like I don't really put that on Michigan's offensive line. They don't respect McNamara or McCarthy throwing the ball to these receivers. Not consistently enough. Not really a threat. Doesn't scare you. Georgia's secondary is not, it's not like an all-timer of a secondary. But they're like, guess what? We're going to sit in a too-high shell and still absolute, I shouldn't cuss, we're going to dominate your run game uh, without being plus one in the box. 
Like that to me was impressive. Michigan hit a couple balls over the top, but not that many. You know, they, they hit the one down the sideline. They had the one that, that, that the guy missed. Uh, but they were able to largely win with their speed and physicality without being plus one box, at least, you know, a decent bit of the time. That was pretty impressive. Yeah, you can't go side to side on the – if you are Michigan's offense, you cannot go side to side no. on the Georgia defense and feel like you're going to win those battles against those edge players. They also pretty- run a lot of gap stuff. And Georgia's very good at shooting gaps. Like we just talked about what Bama did to avoid that. That's what Michigan is, though. So they're going to run their stuff. That was a tough matchup. And that was kind of what was strange to me about the Cotton Bowl, too, was like, I feel like if you're Cincinnati going side to side against Alabama wasn't going to work for you, but that was kind of where Cincinnati was having the most success. So I wonder, that's just, I don't know if I'm just going off on a tangent here, but that's just something I think to keep an eye on for the rematch in Indianapolis. Wait, right. Alabama can't do what it did to Cincinnati mm-hmm. against Georgia. What, so you're saying that Bama can't go side to side against Georgia the way it did against Cincinnati? No, no, I'm saying Bama will not achieve consistent enough push and movement against this mm-hmm. Georgia front if it sits there and wants to try to run inside zone 35 Oh, times. yeah, yeah, yeah. The, like, the, 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 the Brian Robinson special that they rolled out against Cincinnati was how you win without putting too much on tape or, or getting too many players hurt. He did look healthier, mm-hmm. though. They mentioned on the broadcast, and he had, a little, he had a little gear that he did not have in the SEC title game. So something happened there. Can we, can we talk about the... The CFP anon theory. Oh my god! Oh, that Georgia threw it. That Georgia laid down. <laughs> People uh, don't seem to believe this. I like it. <laughs> I'm good with it. It makes me laugh. It gives me a really, really deep chuckle. The it's idea, the long that game, that it would be so inside that Georgia would throw the SEC championship game just to be able to get two SEC teams in, knowing that both of these SEC teams would be overwhelming favorites and take care of business against the teams they face in the semifinals, setting up yet another Alabama-Georgia college football playoff national championship game, the second in four seasons, and the third SEC versus SEC national championship game in the last decade. What's the one thing Nick Saban's always worried about with his team? Distractions. The rat poison. Oh, yeah. What's the what's the deadliest form of rat poison you can give a team? Letting them kick your ass and thinking, oh, wow, they're, we're a lot better than they are, and then meeting them again in the college football playoff national title game. Oh, Georgia, they deked them. <laughs> oh, this is Georgia tricking... Yeah, they threw it. Yeah, they threw it. Not not to help the SEC, just to get Alabama a little too confident for the rematch. Georgia knew no matter who it played in the semifinal, it was going to work them. It's the greatest defense of all time. They knew they had. They were just going to destroy anybody that they faced. And then Alabama's going to come in all <laughs> puffy chested, thinking, "Yeah, look at us. We're going to kick this team's butt again." And then, nope, Georgia's going to run all over them. That's why Georgia's still favored in the rematch, folks. Books know. They don't care about what happened in that brain, first game. Kirby Smart. They know that Georgia here. threw it. He said, he said listen, we, I, I'm going to tell you, we've been whooping everybody's ass all season. So, listen, if, if we lose here to Alabama, it, it really just helps out the Southeastern Conference. And uh, Greg Sankey told me that it'll be good for all of us. So, uh, we're, and, we're, we're just going to 
we're going to have a hard lesson. Our players need to focus. You know, they need this. And Kirby remembers like the challenge Cincinnati gave him. He was dodging the Bearcats. He's like, no, nah, we'll lose this game. We'll fall to three. We'll get Michigan instead of Cincinnati. It's the easier path. I am stunned. I mean, I, I know we've like kind of bounced around between these two games. I am stunned by how lopsided that game was. I was, I mean, clearly I had Michigan plus Michigan you mean? a yeah. lot. Yeah. Well, see, that's the thing though, because that that's why I think that that lack of it the was conversion. Yeah, that, that's why I think the lack of the fourth down conversion there in that first drive hurt because once Michigan gets down two scores, like it can't play the way that it really wants to play. It's got to start kind of, you know, chasing points. And then it gets down three scores when it gets to stop, it gets a field goal. So now it's in a situation where it can't just really run the ball and try to play its balanced kind of game management style. It's got to, it's got to move the ball through the air a lot more. And that's not really a position you want to be in against that Georgia defense. Of course, there are very few positions you want to be in against that Georgia defense, but that's one of the worst for Michigan as far as a matchup point. Second and two is the only position I want to be in against this Georgia defense. I want to be on the sideline watching somebody else face this Georgia defense. <laughs> Totally fair. Like, ow, my knee hurts. <laughs> coach, coach, <laughs> coach, I gotta yeah. get out, coach. Yeah, I, I, I gotta get out. No, no, this is the college football playoff. This isn't the uh another indescript, not indescript, an insert name here type bowl. Um, what do we think about the national championship game? We've already sort of teased it, we've already talked about it. Uh, I know Tom's pick, but Bud, where where are you at on this one? Georgia. Um, so go back and uh, I assume you guys have this on your DVR still. Bryce Young played an unreal game. We just talked about, Hey, like is Georgia better team than Michigan? Yeah, they are. Are they 35 or whatever it was points better? No, No. probably not. You know, like they, they kind of got game scripted out of that thing. Bryce Young, Georgia actually got a fair amount of pressure on Bryce Young, and he dodged it amazingly, you know, and was able to to get out and hit some bombs on him. He he just it's very hard to play at that level. Bama had to have a lot of stuff go right for them in that ball game, and I don't know if they can do that again. Like they've shown that ability, so you have to acknowledge that they have the possibility or you know the potential to do so, but. In the rematch, man, like Georgia has looked better than Bama over the course of a 14 game sample set. I don't really think there's any doubt. Matchup wise, it's not a great matchup for Georgia because of what Bama can do, but they also don't have Mechie now. You know, Mechie was a kind of a key target for them on, on third downs, red zone type stuff. So I'm I'm leaning Georgia. Yeah, that was my instinct too. Like they that's the thing. Like they ask us in 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 our Slack channel like for picks like right away and it's like, "Oh god, I I you know, I like to think about these things." Mm, I don't <laughs> I responded, let's see. So the request came in from our editor at 9:50. Yeah, you were in there in like 30 seconds like Bama both. 9:53 p.m. Alabama. I and so that's my pick. That might change before, but honestly, my initial gut reaction is Georgia. I mean, it's not even like a question of, oh, I think they're the better team or there was any kind of, you know, fluky thing in the first game. It's just, it's really difficult to beat a team twice. Yes, agree. Like, no argument with that 
as as your Georgia pick. And no argument with any Georgia pick. It's also no argument with the Bama pick. Mm-hmm. It's a two and a half point spread. Like yeah, it's a coin flip. This might get to three. I think it opened two or two and a half, depending on the offshore book you look at. I'll, I'll go back and look at look at the scrapes later. But I mean, two to two and a half is not a huge move. We'll see if this gets to three. If it gets to three, it's probably three with pretty heavy juice on Bama, right? Like they're not going to let you have a Bama three minus one ten. I don't think. But like, this should be a, a really interesting game. Um, I'm very interested in this Alabama injury report. At some point, those guys do start to matter. Mm-hmm. W- w- without a doubt. That's why the Chris Owens tab is already open in Bud Elliott's Twitter. True. So did you guys have the playoff expansion talk before I got here? We did because I, I had to talk about how, like, yes, I very much enjoyed live betting the pit team total under when when the other quarterback got hurt. But, like, that was the most entertaining thing I had of the, all these New Year's Six games. So – I don't think those guys would opt out, right? Um, no, but they wouldn't was, have been playing each other either. Like Pitt in a, would in have a been playoff? playing. No, t- ten and twelve <clears throat> wouldn't have met in the playoff. It would have been them versus. It would have been uh, Pitt versus the five seed and Michigan State versus the seven seed. Would have been a different game entirely. Those could have been could have been fun games, though. It could have been, but are either of them winning the national title? No. But then fans, lot. Why the hell do they this. need to be in the playoffs? No, because it's it's about ratings and entertainment and making our job even better. What if you just instead I mean, of expanding I'm the playoffs on this, instead of expanding the playoff, you just give teams financial rewards for winning bowl games? Mm. But you can't. You got to play in the game. You can't opt out if you want to cut. Mm-hmm. Maybe that wouldn't stem it because maybe if you're Kenny Pickett, you're like, well, what's ten grand? I'm going to go make ten million, but. Still, I I don't know. I just, I just, it's funny, and I I know it sounds it's not, like a Jay Z lyric from one of his older albums, like not reasonable doubt, but like I actually I actually ghost wrote the blueprint. Most people don't know that, but I, it wasn't Kanye. Um, but like, I don't know. It's just when I watch these games, and like people think it's reactionary, but it's not because how many of these damn semifinals need to be boring blowouts? And then it's like, wow, all these semifinals always suck. Let's add more of them. So that way we can get a couple, maybe one or two more interesting games on top of four more blowouts every single year. And then we end up with the same two teams playing for the title that would have been there had we just gone with two. All right. So Bud's already done the totally, you know, we're, we're just going to all be like selfish here. I, I am either like aging rapidly or the world is flipped upside down because I'm believing the nonsense that is peddled about how we have to preserve the regular season. Oh, the right. I truly believe the regular season is better than the postseason. I do too. I believe that our interest that we can document with data on the ebbs and flows and the debates that we have through September and October and November, the way that the interest peaks on November 4th, and I'm, I'm just choosing that as a you know random date, you know, that first weekend in November where the stakes are high and you don't know what's happened, and so many fan bases are engaged, and all these conference matchups are going on all at the same time. I I don't want to expand the playoff, and I know it's gonna happen, but I I don't want to take anything away from the fact that the regular season is the best part. Uh it is an anti-NBA. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. in that the regular season is the best part of college football. Yeah, but like we were talking the other day about how, you know, you're saying how the bowl season is for casuals. You know, it's for people who are just kind of watching. The playoff is for casuals. Mm, I'm sure. more That's I'm fair. more interested in most like October Big Ten games between three and three teams than I am in these semifinals usually. Like, don't get me wrong. I enjoy the games and I watch them, but the Cincinnati-Alabama game was not, not all that entertaining to me, and I kind of knew what the outcome was going to be the entire time. I would rather, it's just, it's all a show to me, whereas I enjoy the actual games in the regular season and what the games mean for, like, conference races and rivalries and all that kind of stuff. The playoff is just a television event. It doesn't really mean anything. The national title is just a thing to hang. It's just the fact that we're so focused now on the playoff and we have to have more teams in it so more of the regular season games have meaning. All the regular season games have meaning anyway. They don't have more. I want you to be interested not in those October games, but more in the November games and more of them. But why? That, I, I understand what that. Is, but, that's what, been presented. Explain, I to me, that explain to me what the interest is and what you have to gain by it. So I'm interested in November games. Right. But, but fans, the team bases, if you're only focused yeah. on your team, the, the way that they presented it is that you go from essentially like at the beginning of November, if there are 16 teams that are in the running for a four-team playoff, and that's being generous. When we expand the playoff, you'd be looking at like 40 teams at the beginning of November still could have a shot at the four-team playoff. And I think that uh-huh. that data was put together with the old 12-team with the six automatics and the six at-larges. So we still have that to be debated, right, as the actual format has yet to but be determined. Is that, but, I'm but, sorry, I interrupted you. Continue. Well, I was just going to say, so if you are including a third of the sport instead of less than that, then you are widening your your reach in terms of the national interest coming down the stretch. So is that more interesting to college football fans or is that more interesting to television executives who have hours of programming to fill and this way we can have talking heads talking about how much more important this game is between seven and four pit and eight and three wake forest because ooh, there's playoff implications on the line i don't line. think it's hours to fill i think it's more of a like just trying to cast the widest net possible in the same way like i talked to somebody earlier today who went to their first nba playoff game ever and one of their takes was i was surprised at how the nba presentation when you're in an arena and i think that both of y'all I'm assuming you both have been to an NBA game. It's like you realize that they're really trying to accommodate to everybody there, a.k.a. it is not just a basketball presentation. We've got something for the kids. we got something for everybody who's there. Like it is a very almost circus-like presentation. It is an entertainment product, and I am agreeing that college football is becoming a little bit of an entertainment product. And so I understand why having more people engaged in November could end up being good for the sport overall as a whole. Okay, well, let's say you're on a fishing boat and you literally cast the widest net possible. You might get a few more fish, but you know what else you're going to get a whole lot of? Useless crap that you don't need. Oh, right. Oh, this can. Let's put this can in the playoff. Let's put this boot in the playoff, this tire in the playoff, this dead manatee that we choked to death with our net. Let's put that in the playoff. It's like, okay, so we got a few more fish and a whole lot more crap to sift through to get to it. Fair. Hey, listen, the fans of that Vance can, comment fans in, in of that can are so happy. <laughs> <laughs> look, look at Vance Williams' comment. Happy New Year, Vance. That's 
That's well done, man. <laughs> oh gosh. Um I'm sorry. I took I got the booster earlier today and it's really starting to hit. So <laughs> you you're getting your instructions. The robots oh, are bebopping. Yes. Yeah, Jeff Bezos is in my ear telling me to get prime and I really need to buy more coffee or something. I don't know. Um okay, so we are split decision and we will by the way, I have our official college football playoff national championship game picks and predictions and preview coming up. I guess we are Friday, so it'll be next Thursday. Probably it's when we'll target it. Maybe we'll do it on Wednesday. Um, but I, I feel like getting our Alabama Georgia rematch is appropriate for the season that we've had. Right. I, I, we will have a rightful champion one way or the other. Yeah. They're the two best teams in the country. Although, if it had been the BCS, we would have had Alabama-Michigan. But, of course, Georgia wouldn't have thrown the SEC championship in a BCS system. Alabama-Michigan would have been closer. I agree. Because Alabama's front seven is not quite as dominant from a run-stopping standpoint. I think other- Cincinnati would have been closer, too. <laughs> That's the funny thing about matchups. Yeah, exactly. I, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. If Cincinnati could have done what to Georgia, I think they could have. I think that they could have slowed the offense down a little bit more, and I think that they could have been more competitive. I'll put it that way. I, I just feel like that Alabama was a worse matchup for the Bearcats. I don't think the Bearcats would have beaten Georgia. I just think they were a better matchup, and I think it's the same thing for Michigan against Alabama. I think the results would have been the same. The games would probably have been more entertaining. Yeah, I mean, I think there's two offenses out there that can score against against Georgia. And one of them screwed around and didn't make its defensive changes after the COVID year, and they're playing in the Rose Bowl. And the other is Bama. They made some defensive changes, by the way. This year. Yeah. In this offseason. After. A, a year late. too late. Yeah. And that's after why we're on possibly. Notre Dame they, <laughs> on January 1st. Had they done it before the Oregon game, probably would have been Ohio State playing tonight. And <laughs> um, Speaking of Notre Dame, did you guys see that uh, Oklahoma State is now a favorite in a couple spots? Like, is there some kind of uh, – what do we I got there? COVID or like like an opt-out we're not expecting? I mean, it, it's it's not a not a big move, you know, one-to-one, but – Well, when bowl season daily is released on this very feed here in a matter of hours – after I we record we, it, yeah, we I haven't recorded we it yet. Notre Dame is a short favorite, but we we left a little bit of wiggle room because we saw where the line movement was going when it was being recorded. Oh, maybe. Oh no, wait. Never mind. <laughs> I was going to say maybe T Boone put a big bet down, but uh, that would be hard for him to do. Rip. <laughs> I, I will say seven. for Tuesday's game. Um, I think people are betting Kansas State now based on injury information or opt-out information coming out that I guarantee you the big groups have known about for weeks and already bet. Like, nobody is surprised that Davis Price isn't playing in this game. We all expected that for weeks. So I think you guys, if you're betting this now based on who's opting out, you're late. It's already it's already priced into the number. 
You're probably right in a brave soul. If you're, if you're taking big stabs at Kansas state LSU on a Tuesday, in early January, I, I, I took it. I took a decent stab, but it was at pick, not, not four and a half. I'm, I'm going to watch that game and I might bet it, but it will not be before the opening kickoff or confidently or, um, in, in anywhere where I, I'm going to be, uh, be held to it. That's for sure. What did Jordan just put in the chat? Oh, uh, did, did you see Jamari Salyer? Um, he he kind of pancaked him on, on a – so it looks like Hutchinson gets kind of crossed up. Uh, Jordan just dropped a link in the chat. Hutchinson gets kind of crossed up on an inside move, loses his balance, and Salyer uh, re, like, regains his balance and, and pancakes him. Cool. <laughs> That's not that, the first time it's Those guys are fun to watch, man. Yeah, that was, no. There's a lot of NFL players in that field. Yeah. It's like, I mean, come on. So, uh, whatever. <laughs> what? Where was Will? No, I'm just saying, like, the tweet. The tweet. Oh, no, I was reading Jordan's comment in the, in the private chat. Yeah, no, the person who tweeted was like Hutchinson for Heisman, saying that Hutchinson shouldn't want a Heisman because he got pancaked on one play against Georgia. So, it's like, all right, guys. Reggie cool. Bush actually won a Heisman and he coughed the ball up and lost a national championship. Yeah, he shouldn't have been a Heisman final. That's why they took the trophy from him. And that's yeah, why it, doesn't and it actually has nothing Sorry, to do with the, yeah, it actually has nothing to do with the NCAA violations. The Heisman <laughs> Trust actually watched the game against Texas and was like, "Well, I'm sorry. Can't do that." I'll just say it like Jordan, if you're upset that Will Anderson wasn't a Heisman finalist, Aiden Hutchinson has nothing to do with that. You're upset at the wrong person. <laughs> yes. Also Bryce Young's a better player than Will Anderson. So I said it. Sorry. Like a quarterback is so much more valuable than a defensive end ever can be. Will Anderson didn't do a damn thing the first half of this game, and Bama was still in control. Will Anderson did have a good game, though. By the oh, end. yeah. Like the yeah. final final 40 minutes, really good. First 20, you didn't hear his name called a lot. Now, I think part of that's because Cincinnati was really focused on him, but I'm, I'm, all, I'm all about quarterbacks winning the award because it's the most important position on the field by far. So if you're the best quarterback – you are probably the best player. Somebody else might be better than you are at their position, but their position doesn't matter as much. Not even close. I will say the argument, though, for Anderson is that the season Bryce Young put up is very much in line with the seasons a lot of quarterbacks have put up over the years, whereas the season Will Anderson put up was an outlier compared to other defensive edge rushers that we've seen. So It was crazy. You're right. (laughs) All right, we want to wrap this up. Anything else you want to get out of here? Any anything from uh, Central Michigan's Big Sun Bowl win or uh, wait getting it done for a uh, Big Eleven win Deeks in the Gator Bowl? Um, Wazoo had that Juarez flu, man. They sure did not look very. <laughs> I turned that they looked very disinterested at the start of that game. They kind of got things going in the second half, but that first quarter they looked like they were anywhere else in the world but there. Yeah, that was. Uh... Thank you to Tom for telling me not to lie, Bet Wazoo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> what was the live line? I there was there was a lot of uh, conversation going on. I had I think it was like minus one, mm-hmm. and they were punting. And I was like, all right. So like, I I, I like to bet on teams when they punt because like a lot of people will take the other side, and mm-hmm. you know you're kind of you're kind of expecting a defensive stop. Um, but I didn't do it. Thank you, Tom. You're welcome. I, I pitched it on the uh, early edge for Sportsline as alt line or money line. 
you either take Washington State alt line or you take Central Michigan money line because if it's close, I don't trust Washington State to care enough to be able to finish this off, and Central Michigan will care much more. But if Washington State came out and put Central Michigan in a in its locker early, then it could have been able to hold on. Jay Delora had an awful start to the game. Uh, and also, not only were we missing Max Borgi, but even the backup running back, who was pretty good, had the violation of team rules, and we didn't even find out about that until shortly before kickoff. So, Cougs were in a little bit of a tricky spot. You know who did have Central Michigan on the money line and the money line sprinkles? Tom? Yeah, that's right. Nice. So, Tom wins again. <laughs> he is... Bud Elliott. You can follow him on Twitter at Bud Elliott three. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, viewers, listeners, happy new year. Wish nothing but the best for 2022. Uh, we will be back on Monday afternoon uh, to circle up and do some larger recap of some of the bowl action that we've seen. We've had some bananas results across the board, but we're about hitting our time limit here. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Happy New Year, everybody. I'm putting the odds. I'm putting the odds of me reaching midnight central at about plus four hundred right now. <laughs>